This is Invest Talk, above average investing for the average investor. Hello, I'm Justin Klein, and I welcome you to a special Invest Talk Rapid Fire podcast. During the course of almost every week, we receive more caller questions than we can possibly answer during our live stream and radio broadcast programs. So to thank our listeners for investing the time to call, we plan these special podcasts in order to play catch up with backlog questions. I'm going to be moving at a faster pace, but you'll still hear my honest and thoughtful answers. On this podcast, we will operate with the mission statement, independent thinking and shared success. This is your assurance that no matter what we talk about, market reports, process explanations, or stock commentary, we will present it all without bias. We give you the facts as we see them. So let's get started now. Hey guys, from Alaska, I've been listening to the show for about six months now. It's been great. My question is, I'm in my mid-30s, approaching about a half million in my 401k and Roth IRAs. Is there any point to owning bonds at my age and where I'm at and not necessarily needing the money anytime soon? Okay, thanks. I'll listen for it on the podcast. Well, I never want anyone to rule out the possibility of any type of asset class. Just like you don't want to get married to, oh, I only want to own equities or real estate or just bonds. It's important to know that anytime various asset classes can be good or bad risk versus reward propositions. Now, with your age and where bond yields are today, owning something like treasury bonds, not typically a great idea because though though yield potential losses from rises in interest rates etc but what other type of bonds are out there maybe corporate bonds emerging market bonds those can offer four five six seven percent yield sometimes and can be better risk versus rewards and it gives you more diversity and if you are looking for maybe more consistent returns those will provide it. Equities can be very volatile. It can be up 20, 30% in a year. They can also be down 20 or 30% in a year. But if you don't need it for a while, I don't think this is a great time to be getting into bonds. So I would not have a large allocation. But having, like I said, a small allocation to some of the riskier bonds out there, the higher yielding bonds, not a bad idea. Thanks for the call. This is Invest Talk, and we answer a mix of process and educational questions and stock questions. Let's keep things going. This next question came in from a listener in Massachusetts. Hi, this is Chris from Massachusetts. I went in kind of balling hard on ExxonMobil about three months ago. Pretty much overweight in my portfolio, even at the time. So I got in probably at an average price of forty-two fifty or so. My original plan was to sell at sixty to use that money for something specific. However, tend to pull the trigger a little bit early on selling sometimes. So I'm just trying to think what you guys feel is a fair value for ExxonMobil and um, where you think you know a fair price should be um, in order to sell at. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye. Well, we own Exxon. We've owned it for uh, a while now. Recently, the stock started to pull back. And I think the energy sector, commodity sector as a whole, it's gotten a little ahead of itself. So, don't be surprised to see a kind of volatile, choppy consolidation pullback pattern in a lot of these names. And, and Exxon and has started it. Right? Oil has come down a bit. 
Now, our fair value on Exxon is closer to $75 a share. Today, as as this recording, it's trading at 56 spot 81 at the close. So maybe, hopefully, you sold a little bit at 60 to use that money somewhere else. But our value is higher. But that doesn't mean it can go right to that value right away. Oftentimes, there's backing and filling. Uh, it will be volatile with the price of natural gas and oil. And you're starting to see that now. So that's our valuation. But near term, I'm expecting some choppiness in that space. Now, the Stock listener line never closes. And this one came in earlier on 888.99 chart. Hey, Steve and Justin. I've seen a lot of headlines about how gold is sinking. That means a buy point's coming up, right? Thanks. The short answer is, yeah. I do think we are into some major support here on gold. And we've seen a bounce over the past couple of weeks or so, especially in the gold miners. And they typically lead the price of gold. And to me, that is an indication here that gold is likely to take off in the short term. Doesn't mean you have to do it right away. But after this pullback, and very controlled pullback, there wasn't giant sell-offs. It was kind of shaking out the weak hands in the space since the summer of last year, about August time frame. And that's when rates started to rise. And I think while rates will probably continue to rise, gold is now rising in the face of those rising rates which tells me that maybe we're getting closer to the end of this recent rate rise move. Doesn't mean we can't go to 2% on the 10-year, but gold is acting well in the face of continuing to see a ramp up in higher rates, and that means inflation expectations are rising, and you're seeing the you're going to see the headline inflation probably top 3% in the next few months because of kind of base effects, although that will moderate later in the year. And all of this tends to be good for the gold price. And it's acting fairly well. And it needed to because it was at some major support. And it's reacted well to it. Doesn't mean it has to break out. Doesn't mean it can't break that support and roll back over. But from a risk-reward perspective, I like it in this area. Now let's pivot to a housing question from Pittsburgh. Hey, guys. It's Adam from Pittsburgh. Love the show. I plan on buying a house this fall once my lease is up. And I was wondering what investment strategies you'd recommend for that time frame in the current economy. Thanks for your help. I appreciate it. Well, it sounds like this is more of for your personal residence than an investment. And a lot of people get those two things confused. They think that their home that they live in is an investment. And it's not. It is a utility. You are using that home to live in. And at the end of the day, you need to be happy in that home. And if it goes up in value, fantastic. And should you consider the long-term price trajectory in that equation of buying a home? Sure. But it definitely should not be at the top of your list. It should be a lifestyle choice. It should be a budgetary choice. Can you afford that home longer term based on your income level and volatility of your income? You know, some people have consistent steady jobs. Some are self-employed and have volatile uh, income levels from year to year, month to month. All that needs to come to consideration before the investment side. Investment is just a plus. If it goes up, typically it goes up with the price, uh, the, the, the rate of inflation. Why? Because incomes typically go up with the, with the rate of inflation. What pays for mortgages and rents? Incomes. 
So don't think of your primary residence as an investment. It's a utility. Now here's a listener question we get almost every week. It concerns REITs and it came in earlier on 88899 chart. Hey guys, this is Dan from Seattle. I just had a quick question. I own uh, some rental property and I'm about fed up with it and I don't think it's for me. And so I was wondering what your opinion of is if I sold my properties and bought like $50,000 worth of REITs, if I took the profits off of some of these properties, is that a good way to play real estate? Am, am I too much risk? Would I be better off just playing it in the market? And what's your opinion on owning large amounts of REITs just for the diversification from the stock market? So any thoughts in these crazy times would be appreciated. Thank you. I love this question because this is what I talk to people about all the time. There's a lot of incentives from real estate brokers, mortgage brokers, the entire real estate industry for people to get in and own real estate individual real estate properties. And that can be fine. It can be a good part of a diversified asset base that you have. But there are a lot of headaches and it sounds like you're seeing those. Being a landlord is not the easiest thing in the world, especially if you run into a bad tenant, especially you run into COVID where you know there's rent deferrals, things like that. And you have to work, you get a call late night. Even if you have a property manager, you have to deal with them and approve things. And it's not always the easiest thing. But if you invest in a REIT, a real estate investment trust, you can get four, five, 6% yield, similar to what you're getting from a rental property with no headache, right? You have professionals managing the portfolio and you're more broadly diversified. Typically hundreds, if not thousands of different properties and income streams. Whereas if you own one or two or three properties, you're not very diversified if you think about it compared to a REIT. And a REIT, you can diversify among different types of REITs, from office REITs to retail REITs to housing REITs to uh, industrial REITs. There's a lot of different types of REITs that are out there. So. I think absolutely it makes sense to take that if you are sick of being a landlord, going and build and building a diversified portfolio of REITs that give you similar income to your investment properties. So great question. I love it. And I think more people should consider that if being a landlord is not really for them. Some, for some people it is. Some people it's not. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. We take your questions 24-7 on 888-99-CHART. Next, here comes a stock question from a caller in Nevada. Hi, guys. This is Nick from Nevada. I'd like to know what you guys think about Costco. It's been trending down since the beginning of the year, and I'm wondering if you think it might be a good time to buy it again. Yeah, I appreciate what you guys do, and have a great day. Thanks. The simple answer is no. I don't think it's cheap enough. I like Costco as a company. I like Costco as a business but it's a little expensive still. And it's tailwinds that you saw from the pandemic of a lot of their competition shutting down, more people shopping online, which think, frankly, Costco.com is, is one of the top e-commerce sites in the world. I know probably don't think about that, but it is. And a lot of people buying physical goods for their new home or for their home office. And that has been a big, big tailwind for Costco. And you see that over the past few quarters, revenue growth ramped up into the mid to high teens, 
whereas pre-pandemic, they were in the mid to high single digits from a revenue growth standpoint. And earnings ramped up from kind of 10% growth-ish to 30%. So this is a company that now you're going to see tough comps. You're not going to have that tailwind for this year, especially with interest rates rising. Yes, there's going to be stimulus, but more people are going to spend that on services and traveling than physical goods. They bought a lot of those and you didn't have much else to do. All you can, can travel, can go out to eat. A lot of people bought physical things. That's why you're having supply shortages on a lot of physical products. And that's a Costco sells. So while I like Costco as a business, it's now in a downtrend. It's right around its 100-week moving average, which typically I will say is good support. But our value is closer to $280 a share. And frankly, this looks headed to its 200-week moving average around 255 and that's where I think it will find some major support. So I don't think it's cheap enough, and I would be patient on Costco, but keep it on your watch list. Next, we go from Nevada in the West to Ohio in the Midwest. Hi, um, just a quick question for you guys. My name's Anthony. I'm from Akron, Ohio. I'm fairly new into the investment game. I don't really understand very much of it so far. I'm only 28 years old right now, so I want to invest and have the good money for retirement, so I have plenty of time. I just want to know what types of stocks are the best types of stocks into investing into and how I can set myself up for the future. Thank you very much for your information. Anything's appreciated. Well, that's a loaded question. There's a lot of different type of stocks that are out there, companies that you can invest in from high growth names to your big blue chip dividend payers to small cap kind of value, industrial names, etc. You're a new investor and your number one job is to learn. Excuse me, that's your number two job. Your number one job is to save. If you want to have a good retirement, saving is most important. So creating a consistent saving vehicle, whether that's a 401k, whether that's consistent contributions to your IRA, for example, or consistent contributions to a regular brokerage account. Whatever it is, start with that. Second, start to learn. Read. We have, we have a book uh, section on our site. Great number of resources there, but continue to soak up information. And if you're going to invest, you know, buy companies you use that you know. Think of the apples of the world, or uh, if you eat at a particular restaurant, or uh, brands that you like to buy. Those are all good ways to start investing in the individual stock world. And commissions are free. And like I said, head over to investtalk.com, look at the book section, and start to read. And soak up information. That's what all new investors should do. And I know it seems fun, and it seems easy with Robinhood and all these different apps to just jump in. But be patient, start saving, and learn most of all. Now, this is InvestTalk. I'm Justin Klein. Next up, an important topic, emergency funds. Let's play the question, and I will give you my answer. Hey, Steve or Justin. This is Joe calling from Greenville, South Carolina. I have a question. It's a bit of a personal finance question for you guys. I have built up a emergency fund of about $10,000. 
which would roughly cover my monthly expenses for about five months where I live. But I did not max my Roth IRA for 2020. And with the tax deadline coming up, I probably need to put 5000 to max it out for 2020. I unfortunately didn't save a lot that year. And I'm just wondering if you think that I should take that emergency fund, 5000 of it, and put it into the Roth for 2020 before the deadline, or if you think it's better served to stay in the emergency fund and kind of sacrifice being able to put in for last year and just focus on this year. Uh, any advice you have would be greatly appreciated, and I'll listen for the answer on the show. Thanks, guys. I would say the answer is yes, and the simple reason is you can take your contributions to your Roth out whenever you want, penalty-free. Contributions, not the growth. So if you ever need to tap that money, you still can't. But you can't, after the deadline, contribute to that Roth for 2020. And while $10,000 in emergency savings will come down to five, it's still about two and a half months of expenses. And typically the rule of thumb is three to six months. So you're not far off from that three and you can build that up over the next uh, few months. So absolutely, I would contribute to that Roth. If you're eligible, make sure from an income level perspective, you are something you want to talk with your CPA about, but I would definitely make that contribution. Great question. Now, if you are a regular InvestTalk listener, you'll realize that we get caller questions from across America and around the world. This one came in earlier from Canada. Hi, Justin. This is Sid from Canada. I have a question about ticker symbol K as in Kilo, M as in Mary, C as in Peter, H as in Henry, Cam Palm. It has a couple of ups and downs, but looks like company is good, and I'm trying to take a position in this one. I would like to hear your opinion and any feedback. I'll listen to your answer in the next podcast. Thank you so much for doing a wonderful job. Have a nice day. Bye-bye. Right, this is Chem Farm. It's a clinical stage biopharmacy company. They develop pro-drugs that believe will be improved versions of widely prescribed approved drugs. Interesting. So they try to make currently approved drugs better, it looks like. These biotechs are always pretty difficult because any one of them could hit a blockbuster and create massive innovation. And certainly that's possible. You really have to understand the technology though. And if you understand the technology, you really have a strong belief in their underlying IP, that it will drive true innovation, real products that come to market that drive cash flow and earnings, then I would say invest in it. But you really need to know that. But this is your typical pharma company. It continues to lose money. Expected to make money this year, which seems odd because they're going to lose money next year, according to analysts. So is there some one-time thing? I'm not sure. But revenues are meager. Cash flows are meager. These aren't type of businesses that we like. But once again, if you truly believe in the underlying technology, that it has a place, that it has a big potential market, sure. The chart's not telling me, though, that this is anything to get excited about. It's been relatively volatile, up and down, in kind of a sideways pattern for the past six, seven months or so. And so from a risk-reward perspective, I'm going to pass on it.
I'm Justin Klein, and I welcome you to a special Invest Talk Rapid Fire podcast. In this podcast, I'm taking caller questions at a faster pace in order to cover more ground. These questions came in earlier on our Anytime listener line. It never closes. 888 chart Hi, it's Matt from South Florida calling. Interested in getting your take on capitalizing on the reopening travel trade, whether it be more in hotels or cruises. Obviously, Royal Caribbean and Carnival are the two main players on the cruise front, and Hyatt, Hilton, and Marriott on the hotel front. was thinking in maybe going for the hotels first, as they would have a little bit more of a recovery Q1, whereas cruises need to wait a little bit. I guess between Marriott or Royal Caribbean, if you had to choose between one of those two or a couple of the others, would be interested in getting your take on which one at this stage presents the most value. Thank you. I would definitely say cruises over hotels. The fact that we are having a slowdown, permanent slowdown or permanent shift in business travel, that's going to permanently impair certain types of hotels. And no matter what hotel operator you're talking about, they have a certain subset of their hotels that are targeted towards business customers. And so during the week, especially, they're going to have a tough time. And that's not really the case with cruise lines, although they're going to be take a while to, I think, get back to where they were pre-pandemic, even with people vaccinated, right? Because you're going to have various vaccination rollouts throughout the world. What you didn't talk about, though, were airlines. And it, while it pains me to say this, Airlines did a good job of managing through this. They got a bailout from the government. They got concessions from their unions. And so their cost structure has come down a bit. There's going to be an oversupply of airplanes. And so their ability to manage their fleet better, I think, is going to lower their costs as well. So if I'm picking, I'm going cruise lines, airlines, and hotels definitely last. Next, a question from San Diego, and it raises a question about an age-old dilemma. Hey, Peasley, Joe here out in San Diego. I got a pretty general question for you. I got about as much invested in the market as I do in debt. I've been up on the market this year. I just got in in March at the low. However, I owe X amount on my car, X amount to the state, X amount to child support, and a little bit here and there. Now, would you suggest pulling my money out of the market, paying off my debt and being free and clear, as I hear other so-called financial advisors say that being debt-free should be first priority, or do I leave the money in the market, chip away at my debt? Love the show, and just to let you know, your intro music sounds like the theme music to the Halloween movies. Interesting. Well, I, I don't know if I've seen the Halloween movies in a long, long time. So I can't confirm nor deny that. But when it comes to your question, to me, all debt is created equal. Certainly anything that's high level of interest rate, eight, nine, 10% plus, it makes sense to pay that off and guarantee you that rate of return on your money. Remember, when you don't pay, the interest, because you paid off that debt, you are basically investing and guaranteeing yourself that level of return. Now, with mortgages these days, around 3%, a lot of people have very low fixed rate mortgages. And so the amount you can earn 
in the markets is likely going to be better over the longer term. And so a mortgage is one of those ones where it's kind of iffy whether you pay that off or not. Whether you pay down debt in general, that's always a conservative stance. Being Having a, more, a less leveraged personal balance sheet, having a more secure cash flow situation because debts take cash flow to pay and maintain. So that's important as well. So I would say in this environment, you want to take down your exposure to equities if you can and pay down any relatively high earning or interest rate debt. Now here comes a question we seem to get a lot these days. It's about cryptocurrency. Hi, this is Adam from Texas. I recently got a call from my sister who said she got a recommendation from a client of hers who's an investor about purchasing what is called Hedera Hashgraph. It's a cryptocurrency. It's spelled H-E-D-E-R-A Hashgraph, all one word. She said that it's better or that her client said that it was better than typical cryptocurrencies because it's more, quote unquote, so more energy friendly. I guess it takes much less energy to mine the, the coins out. So it's actually sustainable for the long term. But I was wondering what you all thought about this, especially I know Justin mentioned before he has a small position in cryptocurrency. So I'm curious to hear what you have to say. I already told her it's probably a, a high risk and very speculative, but I'm curious about it because Justin mentioned before that cryptocurrency is not sustainable because of the amount of energy that it does take to mine them, which is just increasing. Anyway, I uh, love the show. I'd love to hear what you guys have to say about this. And hopefully I'll get my sister to listen to you guys in the near future too. Thank you again. Bye. Well, thanks for the call. And he is asking or she's asking about Hedera Hashgraph. This is, from a chart perspective, starting to lose its momentum. Over the last year, it's up 866%. Over the last 30 days, it's up 136%. So it certainly has had recent price momentum, but it's down over the last 24 hours about 7%. You can see this large fluctuation uh, in the price of, of Hedera. And I do think that there are a lot of flaws and a lot of positives around the cryptocurrency space. And government cryptocurrencies are certainly coming. And this is my biggest, I think the biggest risk that I see in this space is that our government's really going to allow Bitcoin and all these other cryptocurrencies to usurp their power to print money and have control over the currency. I don't think so. Now, does that do they assert their power this year or next year or the year after? I'm not sure. But it's extremely high risk. And from a chart perspective, Hedera and frankly, Bitcoin are starting to lose their momentum here. So I would pass on both. I do think later this year we're going to have a large, large pullback in the crypto space. And you really have to ask yourself. Is it something you want to buy once again? Or is this going to be the end of the crypto mania 
And we're going to start the continue the innovation. There's a lot of innovation around this space, and I think that will continue. But I think the price momentum will wane later this year. We have time for one more question in this Invest Talk segment. This time, it's a question again from Ohio. Hi, Steve and Justin. This is Paul. I live in Ohio. I have a question about stock AMRS. Purchased it a while back, and it's done okay. But I'm just curious what you think about the company. And also, what's the chart doing right now? It's either hit a double top or it's decided to just go sideways. Kind of talk about the chart there. Thanks. Yeah, this is a name that has absolutely surged. 52-week low is $1.54. Now it's at $19.69. Down a bit from just a few days ago when it was at $23.42. So it's a volatile name. And they are in the kind of alternative biotech space, or they're in the biotech space. They're engaged in engineering, manufacturing, and sale of products in a variety of consumer and industrial markets, cosmetics, flavors, fragrances, solvents, etc. And if you look historically, this is a business that has not produced a lot of profits or cash flows, and that's what worries me the most. You go back over history, and while they're Revenue has grown from about 41 million in 2013 to 173 million trailing 12 months. They've never really created consistent cash flow. They've continued to issue more and more shares. And this is not a name that I would be investing. I would be out of this as fast as you could blink. This, from a technical perspective, is still in an uptrend, but the technicals are or the momentum is waning, say that. And with the fundamental backdrop being so poor, I would be dumping this tomorrow, yesterday, as soon as possible. I'm Justin Klein, and I thank you for listening to this special Invest Talk Rapid Fire podcast. Steve Pease and I encourage you to tell your family and friends about our free Invest Talk podcasts. You can download them anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And as always, InvestTalk.com. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered and offered to buy or sell securities.